Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Today we have a very special episode. You're going to hear from Beverly Buffini, Olympic athlete, mom of six, co-founder of Buffini & Company, and wife of our show host, Brian Buffini. Beverly has some very powerful messages, and this one was recorded recently at our flagship event, Mastermind, here in San Diego. Let's listen in. Thank you so much. Thank you. First of all, I would like you all to understand my predicament. I'm married to Brian Buffini. And and with that said, one day I'm going to write a book. You all need to hear the other side of the story. Okay, I will write a book one day because it needs to be out there. You need to know more of the story about this man. There's much more that he doesn't say from the stage that you really need to know. And then he brings in an author such as Mitch Albom, a best-selling author, who sold over 35 million copies. And then he brings in an Olympic ice skater, Scott Hamilton, who is maybe one of the most accomplished and engaging presenters that you'll be seeing tomorrow. And then he taps his wife on the shoulder, who speaks maybe every three to five years, maybe, who's a homeschooling mom for the last 25 years, who is a volleyball coach, who tries to be in five places at one time, who tries to remember to cook dinner every night and have a healthy meal on the table. That's my story. But then he taps me on the shoulders. Oh, by the way, Bev, I would love for you to speak at Mastermind this year. And you know what? I don't only want you to speak. I want you to knock them dead. I want you to steal the show. I want you to light them up. So, this 25-year homeschooling mother, and that video you saw, that was six babies ago. So I haven't been in that environment in a long time. But where I have been is around all of you for the last 19 years. And Buffini and Company, as you know, I am a co-founder of Buffini and Company, and we've tried to create a business that provides excellent service. We've tried to create a business that impacts and improves the lives of others. We've also tried to make sure that we provide a company that provides the best environment for people who want to work with us. And that's our story. So I've got all this going on. I've got Brian. That's a story within itself. But then I have this other world that's out there, okay? So what I'm going to try to do today is just share with you six principles that we use in our family in ways that we can try and have a wonderful life. So I'd like to share a few of our family stories. Hopefully you'll learn a little bit. Hopefully you'll laugh a little bit. And most of all, my heart's prayer is that you'll all be inspired to make it a wonderful life. So let's go ahead and get started. The first point I'd like to make is the principle that, gosh, just really means a lot to me, is the power of perseverance. The power of perseverance. Perseverance, by definition, is to continue in a course of action, even in the face of difficulty, or with little or no prospect of success. 
I'm going to read that again. To continue in a course of action, even in the face of difficulty or with little or no prospect of success. Now, George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life went through a lot of difficulty in the end of that movie. And if many of you have seen that, I'm sure you've seen that. He had financial trouble. He was about to go into bankruptcy. His dreams were shattered. His old house didn't work for him anymore. He actually complained about having a large family of maybe three children. So, um, George, we've got to talk. But you know what? He was complaining, and his wife asked him, George, what's wrong? And when he was down and out, he said, everything was wrong. Everything is wrong. And that's how we get sometimes. Everything seems to be a problem. We all go through those times. But what broke George at this time? Because we all have problems. He had problems before. But why did he want to give up the greatest gift of his life at that time, which is his own life? Well, he faced a setback. And I don't know how many of you were here when Joe Nego spoke. How many of you were here and saw Joe Nego speak? And he coined the phrase that a setback is a setup for a, a comeback. A setback is a setup for a comeback. I love that phrase. But Brian and I truly believe that in order to have a wonderful life and in order to cope with life and what's happening in life is that the key to persevering is persevering in the moment. We all hear about persevering, just hanging there, be tough and endure. But the biggest thing that I've learned and Brian has learned is that the key is to persevere in the moment. Brian and I love quotes, as you all know. In my dorm room in college, I had quotes plastered all over the wall because I needed encouragement all the time, as many of you know. In college, you need encouragement because you aren't getting a whole out outside of your little arena there. So I had quotes all over my wall. But one verse in particular that ministered to me or spoke to me or encouraged me and that Brian and I absolutely love is a verse. It's from Galatians 6, 9. And this verse here says, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Again, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So we can all relate to this. We get weary. We get tired. We get tired of being a mom. We get tired of being a provider. We get tired of being a, a sibling sometimes. We get tired of our bosses. We get tired. We get weary. There's frustrations. There's fears. There's discouragement. We all get tired. But the key, again, to dealing with that, and what Brian and I have found out, is the key is making sure that we persevere in the moment. And what I'd like to do right now is share a little story with you in how this is demonstrated in our life. This is such a family reunion to us because many of you have been here since day one with us for the last 19 years. You've seen us raise our children, you see them now, and they've grown, and you guys actually helped us to raise our children in some ways. But in 2007, we had a tragedy, and at that time, there were fires in the Escondido area here in California, and we had been on a three-week vacation. And we were tired, we came back to the house, and we got the kids out of the car. They were tired, sleepy. We took them up to bed because it was about 2 a.m. in the night. We got them upstairs, put them to bed, and we received a phone call. This was about at 2.30 a.m. 
And in that phone call, someone said, okay, there's some fires in your area, and we're just warning you guys, just want to let you know. They call it a reverse 911 call. And so Brian was putting things away still. I was actually working on completing an article for all of you for the magazine that I had to get done by the next day. So I was still up, and all of a sudden we got an, a ring at the buzzard in the driveway, and it was the fire department, and they said you need to evacuate immediately. So we didn't have the presence of mind to actually get all of our videos or get our photos or get all of our important documents. Brian and I just gathered the children up again, put them in the car, and he took us to a hotel. We thought, of course, we'd be coming back in the morning to our home. So we got the word that the, by the time the fire department got back to our home, the home was already engulfed in flames. Many of you probably don't know what our home looked like, but they used to call our home the White House on the West Coast. So it was made of wood, all wood. We didn't think our home would be burned. We were in the middle of a residential area, so we we're like, we're fine, we'll be back in the morning. But it was engulfed, it was an inferno, it was blasting away, totally destroyed. It was pretty epic and pretty devastating. But as shocking as that was, Brian and I, even at that point, communicating that, you know what, this isn't going to take us down. Two days even after that devastation. And what's really so neat is that Brian got an American flag and he just stuck it in the ground in front of the house. Our house was set pretty much on a hill so everyone in the neighborhood could see it. And he said, we'll be back. He just put a poster board and used some embers to carve that in and said, we'll be back. So he made resolve. And this was just within even two days of that devastation. And we said, we're going to be back because we knew the value of persevering. We knew the value of persevering in the moment. It's kind of like when you work out. How many of you work out? How many of you work out? <laughs> okay, Brian, next seminar. Okay. Um, It's kind of like working out. You build up your muscles and you get endurance. And what we learned then and what we learn now is that when you persevere in the moment, you're building up for that next moment and the next moment and the next moment and the next moment. And then you are fitter for life. So we persevered in that moment. And what we also did was the beauty of this whole fantastic, devastating thing is that we were able to rebuild our house. We stayed there for six more years, but we made sure there was no wood in that home. Even though this was so beautiful, it was, you know, it was really beautiful. We got to experience that. That was the upside of it, our dream home that we got to build. But it wasn't as great as what we received from that. I want to share something with you that was much more significant from this fire that we received. And I know it's a direct result of us persevering in the moment and being an example for our children. When our son AJ was applying to college, he had to write an essay as all you college applicants out there are doing for college. And so he wrote an essay when he was applying to SMU and he talked about the fire. And I just want to share a couple of excerpts from that because this is what it's all about in the long run. This was devastating. 
Not only did we lose all of our possessions, but most importantly, our home movies, photo albums, and all the little treasures that can never be replaced. Over the following months, as the reality of the loss set in, I gained an appreciation for personal possessions. No longer would I take for granted the basics of life, such as shelter, food, and clothing. Anything I own is a gift and a blessing. And our AJ collects. So he had a lot of priceless things that he collected. So this is really significant that he put this into this essay. Our family had always been close, but following the fire, we grew closer. The one phrase that was repeated over and over again after the fire was, at least we are all safe and have each other. I gained a new appreciation for my parents, my sisters, and my brothers. After the fires, my friends, neighbors, and acquaintances expressed genuine care and concern for our family in unbelievable ways. They brought meals over throughout the weeks, brought supplies and other much-needed items. One family in our church even brought backpacks filled with toys and treats for my twin sisters, who were four at the time. This unconditional expression of love has caused me to want to be likewise. Today, I try to serve others and make their life a little better. It's been four years now. Our home has been rebuilt and many of our possessions have been replaced. Although it required great patience and many sacrifices during the rebuilding period, I have come to the conclusion that it's not what you have that counts, but it's who you have that counts. So my encouragement and what we have found the first thing that helps to make a wonderful life is persevering, and it's persevering in the moment. And it truly is all about not giving up. Do not be weary in doing good. We could have tossed it in. We could have gotten angry. We could have said, why us, you know, and had a self-pity party. But we chose to persevere, and it was moment after moment after moment. And it was for the next two years, moment after moment. It wasn't just once, we're going to do this, and we're going to fight back, but it was moment after moment. So do not be weary in doing good. You will reap a harvest if you don't what? Do not give up. Persevere. Persevere in the moment. This means so much to me that I often wear a bracelet right here. Persevere in the moment. Because guess what? I need it all the time because I'm married to Brian. (laughs) You know it's right, don't you? That's why you're laughing. You know it's true. And I have six children. Oh, they love you, kids. (laughs) So persevere in the moment. That's the first principle that helps us, our family, have a wonderful life. And I believe if you apply that to your life and your family and your circumstances, no matter where you are, you know, there's so many of you in school here. There's so many of you in certain situations, difficult situation. And it's not about just being tough, but it's about persevering. And that leads into my second point, which is embrace the future. Embrace the future. And embracing the future, it's actually a tool to help you persevere in the moment. 
Some of you may be saying, I just don't have that willpower. I don't know if I had willpower, Brian had willpower. That's you, but it's not me. I can't do that. You can do it, but I can't do it. And I want to encourage you, and I truly believe with all my heart that it's not just me, and it's not just him, and it's not just her. Every single person in this room has the potential to endure and persevere in the moment. And I'm going to give you three practical things that you can do to persevere in the moment and also to embrace your future. Okay, so to embrace your future, this is what you need to do, and this is what we do, and Brian teaches this a lot. The first thing to embrace the future is to set clear and specific goals. Clear and specific goals. The second thing that you want to do is you want to keep your eye on the prize. And next, and a word I just really love, is embrace generational thinking. Embrace generational thinking, because it's not just about now. When our house burned down, AJ was going into ninth grade. He wrote that essay after his senior year. But the impact of our decisions at that time were invaluable and very significant. These three tools right here, I think, will bring you through the short-term discomforts and the discouragement, because we all go through it. And when we apply that, it will help us to have a wonderful life. One more story for you. When Brian and I were really young, we went to Israel with our Bible study. We were actually engaged at that time. We went to Israel with our Bible study. And I've been around the world playing on the USA volleyball team, but I'd never been to Israel. And I was so excited about going. And Brian was even more excited. But we both went, and it was amazing. We had an amazing tour guide. And he went to the unconventional places. And we were going to go to this place called Hezekiah's Tunnel. And I'm going to show you a picture of what it was. In King Hezekiah in 700 BC built a water system underneath the city to protect the water source from invaders. It was a half mile long. Okay? So I was a little hesitant when I heard tunnel. Okay? But I decided to go because Brian talked me into it. He's a very good communicator even back then, you know, and so I went. But I knew we were going to go. He, he was just saying, this is awesome. You're going to love it. It's one of the wonders of the world. And I was hesitant, but I said, okay, I'll go. And because some of that land is still in dispute, even to this day, we went through some questionable areas. And we even had our bus, um, rocks were thrown at our bus. And of course, I was really getting nervous at that time, and he was still trying to encourage me and reassure me, we're going to see something great. You got to just hang in there. I'm with you. It's going to be okay. So we got there to Hezekiah's Tunnel, and we got out of the bus, and I was kind of hesitant to get out, but we got to the entrance. And what I had in my mind of what I was going to see, I thought I would see this great big tunnel that you could drive a train through, okay? But the tunnel looked like this. <laughs> and wait, there was water in it. And that water was not only ankle deep, not only shin deep, but in some places, waist deep. And it was cold, and it was dark. You could not see your hand in front of you. And it was shoulder width, so I started to get claustrophobic. And we got about 50 yards, and I said, no, mm -mm. I'm not going any further. 
And so I turned around and I got out of there. I used my Olympic speed and I went back. <laughs> Honestly, I went back to go find the bus. And I am so thankful my husband-to-be, my fiance, chased after me because the bus was gone. But those people were still there tossing rocks. And so we had no recourse except to go back and through the dark tunnel. And he said, honey, I promise me. He looked me in the eye and he says, I promise you there's going to be something beautiful on the other side of this dark tunnel. See, motivational speaker way back then, way back then. And he talked me into it because that's the only way we could go. And so we walked through this tunnel and I was, um, okay, how should I put it? I was clinging to his shoulders in the back. I had my eyes closed the whole way. I was holding on and I'm saying, okay, there's something beautiful. There's something beautiful on the other side of this tunnel. There's light at the end of the tunnel. And he deserved it, by the way. Okay. The fingernails. And, and we went through that six more times or actually five more times when we were in the labor ward and had, um, our babies because we walked and we walked and we walked and I clung to him at that time also. So we did make it through Hezekiah's tunnel. We got to the other side, but I know this is a life lesson and we all have little life lessons in our life, but this was a life lesson for me that there is light, you know, through those dark tunnels. And when we got out of that tunnel, a few moments after, we saw this beautiful, beautiful city of Jerusalem. It was absolutely amazing. It was a life lesson for me. I do use that lesson to this day. When I had those babies, I kept saying, there is a light at the end of this very dark place. I had them all naturally, so it was really dark in that room. But it is, it does make sense. And sometimes we need people to help us through those dark places. But without a shadow of a doubt, I know that to have a wonderful life, and we have had a wonderful life because we have walked through a lot of dark tunnels and we didn't try to run away from them as I did on that day. So embrace the future. Make sure you know that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And number three, our third principle in making life wonderful is choices. It's choices. There's a beautiful quote from Nelson Mandela. And that quote reads, may your choices reflect your hopes and not your fears. May your choices reflect your hopes and not your fears. Nelson Mandela was a political leader over in South Africa, as you all know. He was a terrorist, and he tried to actually resolve the apartheid issue peacefully. Um, that did not work, and it turned out violent. And as a result, he was put in jail, and he was sentenced to life imprisonment, but he got out and was released in 27 years. But the one thing and the reason why I love the Nelson Mandela story and on the topic of choices is because when he went in, Desmond Tutu said that Nelson Mandela, he was an angry man. He was a very angry man. 
But being in prison was the crucible that melted away that anger in him. And when he was in prison, Nelson Mandela had to make some choices. He had to make some very difficult choices and under very difficult circumstances. He was beaten. He was abused. But even in those situations, he realized that he had the power of choice. Okay, that is actually the one thing that we all have is the power of choice. Sometimes we can't control what happens to us, but even in those situations, we still have the power of choice. Nelson Mandela, he could have chosen to be bitter or better. He actually chose to forgive instead of hate. He chose to unite instead of divide. He chose to think about the future instead of dwelling on the past. Nelson Mandela had a choice. He actually changed South Africa, and he not only changed South Africa, but he changed the world. And the one thing that I do know is that we all have that opportunity. There's things in our lives that we absolutely cannot control people around us, situations that we're in that we absolutely cannot control. People who are over us, bosses, parents sometimes, some children who are out of control. There's absolutely some things that you cannot control. But in those situations, we still have the opportunity to make our own choices. And because, like Mandela, he was set apart, he changed the world because he made some choices. We all have that opportunity. And when we make those choices that help other people, then we too can live a wonderful life. So choices. So we've had our first key to making a wonderful life is perseverance. Our second is to embrace your future. Our third is choices. And our fourth is consistency. Now, many of you have asked us to do maybe a parenting seminar or a family seminar. And Brian and I often contemplate that. But what we like to do is go to our children and get their feedback on what they think about us. We collaborate with them and they provide us feedback. And one of those times we have them sit around the table when we're having one of our family meetings or times together and we ask them, what is it that you think works best in our family? What helps us to have a wonderful life? Why is it good a lot of the time? And without hesitating, all of them in someone said, it's your consistency. It's the consistency that we've seen for the last 24 years. You know, it's the consistency that we've seen when you guys have been in business and your goals and your mission statement. It's the consistency that we see in your life when you are with people. It's the consistency. So the one thing that I know is that if consistency can build a family, then consistency can build a business. And that's why consistency is so very important. Now, what I'd like to do is show consistency to you on a graph, okay? So what it looks like is, okay, you have this roller coaster here. Okay, this line right here, the blue line, represents circumstances of life, okay? The circumstances. Okay, we may have in our life at some time, or in the same day, or the same hour, fear and panic. Anyone have that ever? We may be on cloud nine, and then we go down into deep despair. 
And then there's exhilaration. And then sometimes even immediately after that, we can fall into a state of hopelessness. Now, for example, what does this look like in my life? Fear. After I finished my volleyball career, I said, what in the world am I going to do with the rest of my life? A lot of fear because I didn't know what to do at that time. Panic. Well, 30 years ago, I was finishing up volleyball. And when I was playing volleyball, I was pretty focused. And it was only God in my life and volleyball in my life. And that was it. And... For me personally, I didn't date anyone, I didn't see anyone, I was focused. But after volleyball ended, it was time to get on with life. So I decided, okay, maybe it's time to start seeing someone. And then I met this gentleman named Brian Buffini. And he was a wonderful man. And I knew I had to tell my parents that um, I was seeing someone because they have never seen me, you know, fall head over heels over anyone. So I had to call home and talk with my mom and panic set in because my mom is from the South and she's raised in South Carolina, which is where I was born. And my mom had a lot going on in her childhood with discrimination and different things like that. And so I was pretty scared having to call home and let her know that um, I was seeing someone. So I called her up and I said, Mom, life is going well right now. I'm doing really good, you know, but I have something really, really, really important I want to share with you. And I said, well, guess what? I'm dating someone and he's from Ireland. <laughs> Drop dead silence. Mom, there was panic in me at that moment. And she says, Beverly, there's not too many black folks from Ireland, right? <laughs> and I said, no, Mom, he is white. And you know what, Mom, I really love him. And, um, and then I was on cloud nine when he proposed to me. And cloud nine when we got married. And cloud nine when we had our children. And then, as you saw, deep despair when we lost our home. And then exhilarated because, like my son said, we were all safe because it could have been different. And then we rebuilt our home, our dream home. And then hopelessness in so many ways. But one of the biggest points was when during the recession and we lost maybe 50% of our clients at that time. And we also had to lay off maybe a third of our employees. So that was really tough for us at that time. But that's life sometimes. How many of you believe that your life is a roller coaster sometimes? Just up and down, up and down. And it doesn't have to be year to year. It could be day to day, hour to hour, roller coasters. So the key here is how can we make this a wonderful life? What can we do to make this a wonderful life? And this is what it is. John Wooden is a coach that I really, really, really respect, and I like him as a person. He has this great quote. He says, all of life is peaks and valleys. Don't let the peaks get too high, and don't let the valleys get too low. So how do we do that? And how we do that is when we are guided by our values. When we're guided by our values, 
Brian and I, our values are our faith. It helps us to stay balanced when life is going on, when things are going up and down, when we just don't know what to do. We have values that help us to stay balanced. When we were first married, I'd say when we knew we were going to have children, we actually sat down and wrote a mission statement. And... That was rough because I just set goals and I'm like, I'm going to go for it. And he's like, nope, we've got to write a mission statement because we need to know about all these five circles of our life, you know, how we're going to handle it, how we're going to deal with different situations. And we still use that mission statement in our family to this day. And I truly believe that that has been what has helped us with our consistency in raising our children, in making business decisions, in using our resources, in giving, in serving. Those things, being guided by our values, are what helped us to stay balanced. So now, we have the whole picture here. Looks kind of messy. But guess what? Life is kind of messy, right? It gets messy. It is just not clear. So what we do is we stay guided by our values. And one thing that we like to do, like you said, is we love quotes, we love affirmations. As you know, Brian loves affirmations. And so what we like to do a lot of the time is we try to teach our kids. And we personally use affirmations also. And what I want to do today is if your life is a roller coaster, if you feel that it's all over the place, you're getting so much at this seminar. You're getting so much good content. But if you can only take away three little things that are going to help you and help make your life more wonderful moment by moment so that you can persevere in the moment, so that you can embrace the future, so that you can make good choices, and so that you can be consistent, I want to share three affirmations with you. And one of those that my parents taught me is, the first one is, this too shall pass. This too shall pass, okay? We are never always happy. We're never always sad, The market is not ever going to stay the same day in and day out. Things are going to change. This too shall pass. You have a business deal that's falling apart. This too shall pass. Say it with me. This too shall pass. The second affirmation is all things work together for good. All things work together for good. You get a bad diagnosis. You've had trouble with your family you failed at something you've attempted, our house burned down. I didn't see the good that was going to come from that. But my son's essay shared a little bit of that. All things work together for good. Say it with me. All things work together for good. And the third affirmation, which is so personal to me, that we share with our children, and I know we shared it with many of you, especially when I used to speak and share at the earlier seminars, and I would hold my children's faces when they were younger, and we had them repeat after us when they were dealing with some frustrations or not believing they could do something, and we would just say to them, say it after me, I can, I will, I believe. And... The thing about it is, we could get to the point where George said, everything is wrong. Or we can say, I can, I will, I believe. Everyone say it with me, please. I can, I will, and I believe. And it doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter at all. 
But those three affirmations, if you have nothing else, I remember many days when I was schooling with our children and I just thought, why am I doing this? And like, why? Why am I going through Hezekiah's tunnel? Why? And there's just some times where I closed the door and I went into the bathroom and I just sat on the floor and I cried because I had too much and I had enough. But at times I just had an affirmation to repeat. Don't grow weary in doing good. I can, I will, I believe. So I encourage you, apply those to your situation. And in those situations, you too can have a wonderful life in whatever circumstance and situation that you are in. The next one is focus. Focus. Brian's going to be talking to us about Warren Buffett tomorrow. And Bill Gates' mother invited Warren and Bill over to dinner because they thought they could synergize and help each other out in their businesses. And when they were together at a luncheon, they sat around the table and Bill Gates' father wanted to ask them a question. He said, give me a one-word answer to the reason for your success. And both of them, without collaborating, put their sheets of paper on the desk or the table. He turned it over, Bill Gates' father, and both sheets of paper had one word answer, which was focus. Both of them, no collaboration, okay? Focus means to concentrate attention in one direction. These gentlemen are pretty focused, pretty focused. Now me, I'm not naturally a focused person at all. My parents can tell you I was all over the place. I played all kinds of sports. I was in all kinds of activities. And even now with the kids, I'm all over the place. But I think that I need to be all over the place with them right now. But I'm not a focused person. So when I was growing up, my parents would have to tell me to sit and be still at times. And, and then they had to stop telling me that. And that was in 1976 when I watched the USA volleyball team play in the Olympics. And I was so inspired at that time. And I was playing all kinds of sport, but I was so inspired. And I said, I want to go there. I want to be in the Olympics. And from that point on, because I knew I had to change and I knew I had to be different in certain areas, I made some goals. And I promised myself two things and I committed to two things. And one was that I was never gonna miss a practice. And number two, I was never gonna be late for a practice. And so for the rest of my high school years, I never missed a practice or I was never late. I went to college, University of Alabama, and I never missed a practice and I was never late. They cut our program at Alabama. Two years later, at Tennessee I went, I never missed a practice and I was never late. Now what did this hyper-focus do for me? And I wanna share that with you because the power of focus is incredible. And it's not something that you have to be naturally gifted at, but if you make that concerted effort and those commitments, things can happen. But my high school team actually earned a couple of championships as a result of my focus and the contribution that I had there. While I was in college, we actually won the Southeastern Conference for the first time, and I was named MVP of that championship. Also, as a result of that, I was named All-American, which is one of 12 girls in the country. And thank you. 
Thank you. As a result of that, the University of Tennessee retired my jersey. And I was also inducted to the inaugural class of the Hall of Fame at Tennessee. So, so that was my story. And all of us have a story in here. But my one question to all of you for the remainder of this conference here is what one thing are you going to focus on in your business to improve your business? What one thing are you going to focus on in your health to improve your health? What one thing are you going to focus on in your finances? And what one thing are you going to focus on in your relationships? And our final principle is joy. Joy. Joy can be defined as an emotion that's accomplished by the acquisition or expectation of something wonderful. An emotion that's accomplished by the acquisition or expectation of something wonderful. I believe joy in our lives has come in three contributing factors. One of those factors, Brian is always mentioning this, is gratitude, being thankful, not taking things for granted. From a very early age, our children were taught, even in their high chair, to say please and thank you. Please and thank you. And then when they got a little bit older, we used books, we used music, and I know many of you know the song that Brian shares with you. Please and thank you, please and thank you, please. Come on, sing it with me. Thank you are polite. You are so welcome. You are so welcome. You are so welcome, this. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Mr., Miss, Mrs., yes, these are polite. Now, I put myself out there, okay? And the reason I did that, because it's not about me, it's all about what we taught our children and the value of gratitude and appreciation and starting young. And even if we didn't start young, we can start at any time with please and thank you and politeness, gratitude. And the reason why it's so important is because it brings joy to your life. If you want joy, be grateful, okay? And secondly, perspective. Now, I know you remember the story my husband shared with you this morning about Mauna Kea and being on the beach, okay? I love to give you my side of that story. Okay, we were sitting on the beach. We went for our stroll, and it was a lovely stroll. And my husband wanted to go in and swim, swim, sticking his head up. And I took my seat, like he said, on the lawn chair, and I was watching him. It was absolutely beautiful and magnificent. So he's out there swimming, and I'm enjoying the beautiful weather. And I saw him bobbing up and down, and I'm like, oh, he's really getting into it, okay? Perspective, perspective, okay? He's enjoying himself out there in the ocean, okay? And so then he comes in, and he rolls in. 
a nice row. And I'm standing by him, and I'm like, oh, that was wonderful. This is a beautiful day, isn't it, honey? I'm just glad to be alive, okay? I honestly did not know he was drowning. I didn't. And the only way I knew he was drowning was when the lifeguard came out and said, are you okay? I'm like, honey, are you okay? You know? But, okay, my point here is that it's all about perspective, okay? Now, that situation in most families, what would have happened? You don't care about me! I was drowning! Don't you understand? Don't you know? When that happened, we cracked up! It was hilarious! It was hilarious! But it's all a matter of perspective, okay? From that point on, we have a story to tell, whatever, 10 years later. And it's a good story, and it's a funny story. But we have all have opportunities to make those choices on how we're gonna see certain situations in our life. And usually when we try to see the best in the situation, it usually brings joy and helps us to have a wonderful life. And then finally, we need to celebrate. In my family, in, in my sporting activities, in our business, we try to celebrate. Life is way too short. Life is way too short. Even if it's small, if it's medium, or even if it's large. Celebrate life. There's power in celebrating. It makes you glad that you persevered in the moment. There's a reward when you embrace the future. We saw Jerusalem. I have these six babies because we persevered. There's a reward when we embrace the future. There's also a reminder when we celebrate that we made some pretty good choices and we made some good decisions along the way. And then with consistency, there's trust. There's trust when we're consistent. And when we keep our focus, the sky's the limit. There's no ceiling on your life. So there's great joy. So Brian and I, we've been married for 27 years. Yes. We've, Buffini and Company has been around for 21 years, okay? And we've had struggles. We've made sacrifices. But it's all been worth it because all of you are worth it. You guys are all diamonds. And our goal and our desire is to be here for you and to serve you all. God has great things planned for all of you. Plants that ultimately will give you a wonderful life. I hope you've had a wonderful time today and I hope we have a lot of wonderful experiences in the future. God bless you. God bless you. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's show. Our goal is to positively influence as many folks as we can. So be sure to share it with others. And don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. Uh, we love hearing the feedback. You can check out the show notes on thebrianbuffinishow.com. We're on Android, so you can download your favorite podcast app from Google Play and tune in for free. So as I finish here today, I'd like to leave you with the Irish blessing that Brian always ends the show on. It's something his grandfather used to always say, May the roads rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. 